Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you're one of our guests, we're especially glad you're here. We hope you will stick around at the services and let us get to know you and you get to know us just a bit better. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 16. John 16. We are going to put on hiatus the Blessed Assurance series until the new year. And so with the holiday season, Thanksgiving, and then of course Christmas just around the corner after that, I want to take some time, and this morning, uh, this is a Thanksgiving sermon. I want to look at and explore one reason why we ought to be thankful to God. John 16, verse 33. Hear now the word of the true and living God. I have said these things to you that you may, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that we would see clearly the words of Jesus this morning and understand why it is that we give thanks to you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. A little boy was on an airplane that was experiencing turbulence. The plane was going up and down, all over. The lady was sitting next to the little boy. She was terrified at the turbulence. The little boy was just happily playing, having fun. And after a while, she, she couldn't stand it anymore. Little boy, stop it, she said. Stop having so much fun. How can you have fun at a time like this as we're going through such turbulence? Little boy grabbed the lady's hand and he said, Lady, my daddy's the pilot. When your daddy is the pilot, you can handle the turbulence. Turbulence, it doesn't go away, but you know He's got the situation under control. Our Father in heaven oversees our lives. He knows everything that we experience in this life. Nothing comes our way. No turbulence hits us except it first passes through the compassionate hand of our Father. You don't get through this life without something happening to you. But first, before it happens to you, it's got to go through him. And it is comforting to know, it is assuring to know, that our God is greater than anything and everything in this world. God is greater than the world. And so we are thankful for the greatness of God this morning. But why should we be thankful? For God being greater than the world. Let's back up here. We're, we're going to land in John 16, 33 in a few moments. But first, let's, let's talk about the greatness of God 
as it relates to humans. The Bible affirms definitely, clearly, in Job 33 and verse 12, God is greater than man. God is greater than, than all humans. He's greater than you. He's greater than me. And, and there are, of course, uh, two options here. You see, either God is greater than humans, or humans will think themselves greater than God. You see this play out day in and day out. Either God is greater than humans, or humans will think themselves greater than God. It's true that there are some who want to advocate for shared co-regency. That, yes, God, he, he's great and, and he's, he's king, but he, he wants to share with us his, uh, his authority or, or his power, a, a shared co-regency. But there is no middle ground, not if we want to be biblical, because the Scripture affirms, Old Testament and New Testament, that God is greater than humans. I want to give you two verses that demonstrate this, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. The book of Isaiah, chapter 55. And I want us to notice verses 8 and 9. God says here, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We see a couple things here. Number, number one, God's thoughts are greater than our thoughts. You know, both humans and God are thinking beings. You ever think about that? Well, the fact that you're thinking about it demonstrates you're a thinking being, all right? And, and God himself is a thinking being as well. But there's a difference. God's thoughts, he says here, God's thoughts are not like human thoughts. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. They're so much higher than our own. Think about it. Our thoughts are finite. Our thoughts are limited. God's thoughts are infinite and, and unlimited. Our thoughts, well, we begin to think. God, he's eternal. He, his thoughts have no beginning or end. Far too often our thoughts are evil, they're bad, unholy. God's thoughts are always good, always pure, righteous, and holy. No wonder the psalmist exalts in Psalm 92 and verse 5. Your thoughts are very deep. Yes, his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. But also his ways are greater than our ways. You think about our ways. You know, humans will plan their ways. And in fact, Scripture affirms that, that people, they, they plan their ways. It is the Lord. It is Yahweh who establishes their steps. And people have all kinds of ways in which they plan their lives, their ways in this life. But it is God who guides and directs and determines a person's way. That alone points to the greatness of the ways of God. But we can go further. We think about our ways are often crooked, dark. They lead to death. God's ways are straight. His ways are light. They lead to life. 
That's why we're exhorted in Scripture time and again to abandon the evil way and walk in the good way that God has for us. How high God's thoughts are and how uh, high His ways are are compared here to the heavens being higher than the earth. How high? How, how much higher are the heavens than the earth? How high is the heaven above the earth? Man, I just, you can't, can't comprehend. You can't calculate that, right? That's how much higher God's thoughts and God's ways are compared to our thoughts and our ways. God is so much greater compared to our thoughts and our ways. That's the Old Testament text. In the New Testament, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want us to notice verse 25. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25. The scripture says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is greater than men. What Paul is saying, first of all, in terms of the intelligence of God, He's saying, you know, if there were any foolishness in God, not that there is, but if there were any foolishness in God, it would be so much wiser than human wisdom. Think about it. How much do we know? How much do humans really know? Of all the knowledge that exists in this universe, how much knowledge do humans possess? A, a fraction? of all the knowledge that's out there? Given our possession of just an infinitesimally small amount of knowledge, it's no wonder that if there were any foolishness in, in God, though there isn't, but if there were, it would be wiser than human wisdom. It's no wonder that Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 19. which is not the verse that I had in mind. It says that the wisdom of God is wiser than man. I put the wrong scripture reference there. Where is that? That's going to bug me now. <laughs> I'm not going to find it. It's there in 1 Corinthians 4. I know it is. Oh, that's going to bug me. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. Oh, boy. Well, God's wisdom is wiser. And then he moves on to the strength of God. But he, he terms it in, in, in terms of weakness, the weakness of God. Paul is saying, if there were any weakness in God, not that there is, but if there were any weakness in God, it would be greater than the strength of humanity. Of all the strong men who've ever lived, of all of the armies that ever marched, every bullet and bomb ever manufactured, every rocket ever blasted into outer space, every stick of dynamite that's ever been used in the mines, you take all of that power and might of humans, that hideous strength of humanity, 
And if there were any weakness in God, not that there is, but if there were any weakness, it would be stronger than all of the strength of humanity combined. God is greater. Of course, the the problem is we're prone to think of ourselves as wiser and as smarter and as stronger. We're prone to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We think ourselves greater than we really are. If we can't be greater than God, again, this is where that shared power comes in, that shared co-regency. Let's at least bring him down to our level. But God in his word, he says, no. No, he is greater. God is greater. His thoughts, his ways, his wisdom, his strength, it's all greater. Now, granted, there are those who look upon Christ who look upon his cross, and they do see foolishness, and they do see weakness. That's part of Paul's argument there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's just affirmed that in verse 24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so there are those who look at Christ and they see foolishness, they see weakness. But it's not unlike, you know, we're, we're coming up on the noon hour here very shortly. At midday, if someone were to go and look into the sky and see the sun, and say, you know, that's actually darkness. You would think, man, you're out to lunch, man. <laughs> darkness? It's, it's midday, and the sun is at its strongest, it's shining its brightest, and you're saying that's darkness? That's what it's like when people look at the cross and look at Christ and only see foolishness and weakness. It doesn't in any way impinge upon the truth that Christ is the power and wisdom of God. And that's, that's why we need God to be greater. That's why we need God to be greater than us. It is because of our deepest need, which is salvation. We need salvation. And the trouble with making ourselves greater than we really are is that we are prone to become the authors of our own salvation. But we can't save ourselves. We don't have we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the power, we don't have the, 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 we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not good enough, we're not enough. That's why we need God to be greater, and only God is greater. He's the only one great enough to truly save us. It's out of his greatness that he meets our greatest need. Again, his thoughts have no beginning and end, and so from before time, the, the mind of God in wisdom, determined that we would need a savior and then throughout all time we see the ways of god as he is is bending history to his own will as he is ensuring and seeing to it that his son would come into the world at just the right time live a sinless life that we could never live and die on the cross the death that was due us for our sins and then god is wise enough And strong enough to see to it that rebel sinners dead in our trespasses and sins would have new spiritual life by the Spirit in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. And our God is greater than us, and he's great enough to see to it that he has accomplished his purpose in saving sinners. Well, he's greater than humans. So what does that have to do with the world? Well, coming back to John chapter 16. 
John 16 and verse 33. Again, we have the words of Jesus. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God is greater than the world because God, Christ, because Christ is God. And Christ is the second person of the Godhead. And when he says that he has overcome the world, he is declaring that he is greater than the world. That he is stronger, that he is wiser, that he is more powerful than the world. And so God in Christ is greater than the world. Jesus is saying, when he says, I have overcome the world, he's saying, I've overcome it and it's, it remains subdued. It remains subject to me as Lord. And when it comes to the world, then the world is a conquered world. It has been conquered by King Jesus. And he accomplishes his conquest by the cross. So we think about the world and one of the texts in 1 John that we'll cover next year is, is chapter 5. In verse 19, 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies under or in the power of the evil one. The whole world is under his power. It's, it, the whole world is immersed under the power of the evil one. It has given itself over, the world has, to the evil one. And it lies there very passively with no intention of ever getting out of or from under the power of the evil one. And so the whole world lies under his power. The devil is manipulating this world to his, for his own wicked purposes. He's leading the whole lot of fallen humanity to uh, do what he desires. The world is at his beck and call. And as a result of the, the world being under his power, there's a lot of stuff that comes our way. A lot of bad things. But the good news, to kind of work our way backward through 1 John, is in chapter 4 and verse 4, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus is greater than the devil. And so, Jesus came, chapter 3 and verse 8, and one of the reasons why he came, we're told, in 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, it is true the whole world lies under the power of the evil one, but... The planet, the world, is a defeated enemy. And the devil is a defeated foe as well. Jesus came to destroy his works, to undo it. And, he, and again, he does it by the cross. Both the prince of this world and the world itself are conquered by Jesus. It's no wonder in John chapter 12 and verse 31, he, Jesus says, Now is the ruler of this world cast out because of the work that he is going to accomplish on the cross. The stronger man has come and has bound the strong man. And as a result of that, Christ also is greater than all kings and armies and nations. We see this in Daniel chapter 4, where you have King Nebuchadnezzar, very prideful, and the Lord sees to it that this king, this prideful king, is humbled. And he's humbled for a time, times, half a time. And, and once he comes to his senses, 
That's when he provides us with this explanation about the greatness of God, which is also true about the greatness of Christ. Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar, this king, he says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Again, it is this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who acknowledges that compared to the one true and only God, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That includes, by the way, all the inhabitants of the earth includes kings, monarchs, princes, rulers, all the great ones, and everyone else included. He goes on and he talks about how uh, he does his will, according to his will, in heaven on earth. Human wills are often frustrated. We make plans, they don't come to fruition. God's will is always accomplished. He says that the, that the hand, none can stay his hand, God's hand. Human hands are often stopped. But the hand of God, no one can stay it. No one can stop the hand of God. As I mentioned, every army that ever marched, every nation that's ever existed, every king who ever sat on the throne, Christ is greater. And so, John 16, 33. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you hear the contrast? You have in the world, and you also have in me. In the world, in me. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Now, we ha this is a clear revelation from God, but experientially, we, we know yeah, there's a lot of tribulation. We live in a world full of trials and troubles and tribulations and temptations. It's all around us. And so, man, if it's the case that Christ has overcome the world and he's destroyed the work of the evil one and no human can thwart him and no one can stop him, why is it we have all this bad stuff? How can I give thanks if in the world I have tribulation? Well, first of all, we need to affirm that painful things happen to us, and the painful things in this world, they don't go away. The turbulence still comes, to borrow the illustration from earlier. But Jesus affirms it. In this world, you will, not you, eh, maybe it could happen, I don't know. You will have tribulation. So the painful stuff doesn't go away. But then also, we need to affirm Jesus doesn't make the painful stuff unpainful. It still hurts. You know, Jesus, I mean, he goes to the cross. The nails still go into his sacred flesh. He is still hurt. So the painful stuff doesn't become unpainful. But again, the contrast is here. In this world, and we can't be taken out of it, we're in it but not of it. But then he also says, in me. You see that? 
in me, you may have peace. He says, I've said these things so that in me you have peace. You see, while the tribulation doesn't go away and it doesn't become unpainful, we can have peace in the midst of pain. Even His peace, peace that passes understanding, we can have peace in the midst of pain. Take heart, your translation may say, be of good cheer. What we face in this world is under the mighty hand, the sovereign hand of King Jesus. I have overcome the world. <coughs> Excuse me. So what do we do with this truth? This glorious truth that Christ has overcome the world and we can have peace even though we're in the midst of pain. There are a number of application points that we could hang our hats on. I just want to deal with one. Because this is a Thanksgiving sermon. Thanksgiving's just later this week. Damn, where did 2022 go, right? You were all thinking it, right? When, when Halloween ended, the war of the tree began. To tree or not to tree, that is the question, right? You, and you have, you have the folks who are pre-Thanksgiving tree people, and then you have the post-Thanksgiving tree people. No, you don't put your tree up before Thanksgiving. What's the matter with you? And then you have others who are like, you put it up after Thanksgiving? No, you can put it up before. And so you have the playful banter that goes on, right? Uh, the, the playful banter, all in good fun. And, and so there, there is a sense in which the holidays are, they're a time of cheer and, and a time of, of, of joy and lights and all that. However, for other people, maybe not a few who are sitting here this morning watching online, the holidays are a painful reminder that a loved one is not there. And maybe it was, it was during a holiday that that loved one passed away. And, and so it's, it's an anniversary, a painful reminder. They're not here, and, and once again, I am alone. I know it's not a, a fiery persecution. When we read the word tribulation, it's typically what we think of, right? Fiery, intense persecution. No, it's not that. But it is a little tribulation. That comes every time this year. We live in this world with these troubles and trials and tribulations and temptations. We live in this world, we have these painful reminders. But we also live in Christ. We are in Christ. And in Him is peace. It doesn't take the pain away, it doesn't make it unpainful. But we can have peace in the midst of pain. We can take comfort in the words of our Lord. I have overcome this world. He says this the night before he goes to the cross and dies. But the cross points us to his resurrection. That although he was buried in the tomb, he didn't stay in the tomb. Three days later, he's raised by the power of God. And we can take comfort in knowing that our resurrected Lord will give life to our mortal bodies as well. 
One more text in, in connection with this, 2 Corinthians. We saw 1 Corinthians earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Notice the way he talks about I mean, Paul, at this point in his ministry, he's undergone just a, a laundry list of trouble, trial, tribulation. Some of it very intense, some of it not as intense. But notice how he, he describes it. He says, this light, momentary affliction. That's what this is, brothers and sisters. All that this world throws at us is a light, momentary affliction. I'm reminded of one of the incidents in, the, in the, the history of the people of Israel, right after the Exodus, I mean right after, they've come through the dried up Red Sea, and they're starting, they're beginning, they're wandering in the desert, and they come to Mara. And at Mara, the waters were bitter. They, they couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. And they say, what, what shall we drink? They grumble. Moses, he cries out to Yahweh, and Yahweh points him to a log that he throws into the water, and we're told the water became sweet at Marah. This is in Exodus 15, verses 23 through 25. What's that got to do with anything? During our sojourn in this life, we come to many Maras, many bitter springs, bitter cups of tribulation, how can we drink it? And for those bitter pains and those springs of tears that we have in this world, our Lord has given us a tree. You see, the cross makes bitter waters sweet. Because of the cross of Jesus, he says, I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world in the cross. And it's because of his cross that we can look at the trials and the tri tribulations in this world and see that it is but light momentary affliction that is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. And so God is greater, brothers and sisters, and we can give thanks for the greatness of our God and being greater than this world. Let us pray. our great God and Savior. We give you praise for your greatness. We thank you for being greater than everything. We pray that keeping in perspective your greatness will enable us to recognize who we are in relation to you, but also that we would, in recognizing your greatness, Come to see that all the tribulations and the painful, uh, bitter things that we face in this world, you are greater than those as well. 
and that we can have peace in the midst of the pain. We commit all this to you, the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. As mentioned earlier, our great God is a great Savior. And out of His greatness, He meets our greatest needs. And our greatest need, of course, is the fact that God is greater than our sins. It was just last week that we finished chapter 3 of 1 John, and we saw that God is greater than our hearts, and it's because He is greater than our sin, that He, in Christ, has made atonement, that He has obtained eternal redemption on our behalf. My friend, if you are here this morning, and, and all you know is the bitterness that sin brings with it, I exhort you, flee to Christ. Flee to the sweetness of Christ and the salvation that He, only He, can give you. In a moment, Russ is going to lead us in a song that will be your opportunity to come forward and express how you desire to do that, to put your faith and trust in Jesus by turning away from sin, confessing Christ as Lord, and being obedient to the gospel of being baptized, immersed in water, have all your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, raised to live this new life with Christ. Many of us, most of us, we've done that. But maybe, maybe yours is the pain that we talked about. And so I want to affirm for you also, my brother, my sister, God is greater than the pain, and His peace surpasses understanding. And I equally exhort you to flee to Christ. Flee to the one who has overcome the world. Entrust your heart to your Lord. Come to Him for the relief and the peace that only He can provide. And you know that when Russ leads us, that's your opportunity to come forward as well and to share the things that are on your heart. And we'll surround you with love and lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe, my brother, my sister, it is some secret, private sin in your life that you need to repent of. The invitation is for you as well. I exhort you, flee to Christ. Come to the one who died in your place for your sins and seek the spiritual healing that only He can provide, the sweetness of communion with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Again, when Russ leads us, you come forward and we'll surround you with love and lift you up in prayer. Maybe it is something of a personal nature and you want a private setting to share this with one of your shepherds. One of our shepherds will be available in the conference room. Make your way to the conference room. They'll meet you there. Do the same thing there that we do here. Surround you with love. Lift you up in prayer to our God in heaven. Maybe it's something unrelated to what we've talked about this morning. Some spiritual mental, emotional, physical thing that you're battling, that you want the prayers of your brothers and sisters on your behalf, well, the lesson is yours as, uh, as well, and the invitation is for you. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing?